Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, May 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi doctors are working together to reduce the suicide rates of women after they have a baby. Then a panel of experts are discussing what a responsible use of monuments could be. Plus, a telehealth service is helping Mississippians get birth control. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi will soon extend postpartum Medicaid benefits up to one year. Doctors say this will have many benefits for new mothers throughout the state. Among the many health risks mothers face is developing postpartum trauma, which can have a ripple effect for a family. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Dr. Mallory Malkin, Chief Clinical Officer for the Bureau of Behavioral Health Services at the Mississippi Department of Mental Health. Her agency is meeting with health care providers in Madison to share effective methods to treat mental health concerns during a patient's postpartum period. Uh, specifically addressing not only the needs of Mississippi, both uh, maternal and paternal needs, but also the clinical aspect as well, evidence-based treatment, evidence-based approaches, and warning signs to look for when an individual might be in a need. Uh, be in need of assistance for clinical care. And I understand we've got different classes, different types of presentations. Can you kind of walk us through what we're learning here? Yeah, so each uh, separate presentation is focused on a component of postpartum spectrum of disorders, and those include depression, anxiety, and psychosis. It also focuses on um, specific evidence-based assessments and clinical approaches that are provide an overview of what clinicians can look to for additional training. And we read in the press release, suicide is one of the biggest killers of postpartum women. What is it about postpartum symptoms that put these women in so much danger of mental health issues? Absolutely. So the biggest is stigma. So a lot of new moms um, do not feel that it is okay to talk about the part of recently giving birth that's not rainbows and butterflies and all things uh, coming up rosy. And so we really have to break down that stigma, not only nationally, but within Mississippi. So women feel comfortable expressing the uh, not so rosy side of childbirth and being a new mom. Being able to break down those barriers will allow those individuals to feel more comfortable accessing care and engaging in care, uh, and that will reduce the opportunity for significant depression that results in suicide. I'm glad you brought that up about stigma. Talk some more and elaborate some more on how attacking mental health issues in postpartum women is different than maybe some other mental health issues we see. So it's not necessarily different. It's just a unique population that often does not get the focus it deserves. Postpartum depression is a mental health concern and disorder, not unlike 
typical depression, anxiety, uh, any other mental health disorder that can be diagnosed from the DSM-5. What we have, though, is a population that's more commonly going to come in contact with primary care or um, OBGYN, more of a medical discipline. And so we need to have the opportunity to train not only clinical providers, but also medical providers in warning signs to look for and when to provide appropriate referrals so that those individuals feel comfortable talking about what they're going through, medical and mental health complications related to their recent experience becoming a parent. I understand. So in Mississippi, our population, we have a lot of poverty. We have a lot of women of color. Uh, do you see this problem affecting a certain demographic more than others? Nobody is exempt from experiencing postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, there are risk factors as far as uh, genetic predispositions to more depression or anxiety symptoms. Um, but women, for a variety of different reasons, um, whether it be hormonal or contextual factors, um, might be more inclined to have postpartum versus others. So if you've had postpartum episode um, with a previous birth, then you're more likely to have those in subsequent births as well. So being able to keep an eye on that. Now, poverty oftentimes comes into play with education. And so what we like to target, especially in these types of summits, is how to appropriately um, get the message out there in a relatable fashion, in a, in a digestible fashion, so people can use the information. It's one thing to preach on a topic and put the information out there, but is it getting to the people that need it in a way that makes sense to them and um, they can use? So this summit is specifically to educate clinicians. You've invited other medical professionals to learn from all these presentations today. Is there a feeling that maybe this education is lacking in the typical, you know, education that a medical professional would get? Not necessarily. It really is specific to... Um, that training program for that medical professional. Um, nationally, though, the research does show that there should be more focus on mental health uh, disorders in general in medical training. Um, and so this would be part of what is encapsulated in that type of additional training. And what kind of scholarship have you guys presented today? I mean, what is the most important piece of data that you could probably share with me on why these conversations are important? Mental health matters. I, the, the biggest statistic or thing I'd like to point out is it leverages between the first and second main cause of suicide among women who have recently um, given birth. And so with this presentation, it, you probably guys have already talked about this, and I apologize for being ignorant, but is there a timeline for postpartum depression? Do we see it happen in women immediately after birth? Do we see it in women maybe a few months postpartum? Talk to me about that timeline. So typically baby blues, which is what is commonly referred to the first two weeks postpartum, is very, very common. You've got lots of hormonal surges. You know, your environment's changed. You're sleep deprived. So that's very, very typical. So not every woman who experiences baby blues goes on to experience postpartum depression, anxiety, psychosis. What we look at is you are susceptible um, after giving birth for approximately 12 months. So we see postpartum of a diagnosable level within that first 12 months after giving birth. Educate our listeners on why it's important to have these conversations in Mississippi and the South specifically. The South in general, there tends to be a uh, tendency to step back from difficult conversations, to be polite and not necessarily talk about things that might be considered taboo, when in reality that is just continuing the cycle of that 
particular stigma or particular issue. So Mississippi, just like any other state in the nation, needs to focus more on postpartum disorders and how we can support not only mothers but fathers, their children, and families so that they can provide the education and support to their loved ones. So oftentimes in Mississippi, just like many in the South, it's generational knowledge. And so you have mom, dad, grandparents involved in the upbringing of your children. And the more you know, the more you can apply and the more you can support those around you. Dr. Mallory Malkin, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The MPB Public Media app just got an update. It's now easier than ever to interact with your favorite MPB local shows and experts. With the brand new Talk To Us feature, you can engage with your favorite MPB local shows anytime, day or night, directly through the app. Simply select Talk To Us from the MPB Public Media app's menu. There, you can leave a question, share show ideas, or simply just say hello. With the new Talk To Us feature, you have access to your favorite MPB local shows and experts anytime you want to talk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Monuments have a long and storied past in Mississippi. Recently, there has been a growing debate on what monuments should or shouldn't be on display. Many cities throughout the state have statues commemorating the Confederacy. Some have been relocated or torn down. In the Delta, civil rights markers have repeatedly been vandalized for the messages they share. During a panel discussion on the cultural significance of monuments, historians, community members shared their ideas on how statues and other commemoratives can best serve communities. Patrick Weems is executive director of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Sumner. For me, I think about it in terms of peace building studies um, and think there's a term called, called moral imagination. Um, this idea of thinking about how do we use arts and storytelling, monuments even, uh, to process past pains? Um, how do you use it? In particular, they, they think about it with countries that have gone through civil war, genocide, that the first thing they need is not new infrastructure or schools. Um, they, need, they need the arts. They need the storytelling. They need the culture to heal from whatever has taken place. Uh, and that, that those monuments, those art, can also lead towards how society is going to rebuild. Um, and so while it can be this control, I think about the Dollars Confederacy, I think about those type of statues, I also think that they can be used for reimagining uh, past wounds and, and creating a narrative for moving forward. So is there much of a difference between monuments and memorials or, or even cemeteries? What are, what are the functional differences between monuments and cemeteries or m- memorials? One, one thing that comes to mind is, is that we're, we're all trying to honor our dead. And, and how do you do that? And I, I think one of the opportunities is, is, is can we create a, a space so that we can honor all dead? Um, hopefully um, in, in a respectful way. Right, and in a um, to, to promote a multicultural democracy that we're not lifting one person's dead over another, um, but we're we're creating that space. So I don't know about the differences in monuments and memorials and graveyards, but I think there's a, a commonality in how we are honoring the people that came before us. Daphne Chamberlain is a civil rights historian from Columbus. She says certain monuments can carry vastly different meanings. I think with with regard to honoring those who have died, 
And we're also talking about inspiring those who continue to live and, and continue those narratives of, of family members, of, of those who have made these, um, made these significant sacrifices across the hist historical uh, spectrum. So that's, that's what I see. And I'm kind of like you, Patrick. I don't understand, you know, really know the difference between the two. But that's the way in which I look at it because of my own family cemetery. Is thinking about, you know, all these are the people who laid the groundwork before me. And these are the people who continue to inspire me. And, of course, those are the shoulders that I stand on. And will be able to have my children stand on those shoulders as well. Oftentimes, people are arguing over monuments that aren't actually connected to their own individual families, yet it's just as emotional as if it was your own, you know, grandfather or ancestor or whatever. Why are the stakes so high? There are some single-issue voters, and Monument is their single issue that they, that they vote on. Why are they so important in our society? Why is it so charged, um, especially in recent years? I guess I'll start with this. Is, is there's a lot of anxiety around truth-telling. You know, it's, it's important for us to tell the story. For me, um, when we think about monuments and, and the role in which they play day to day and you know how people are internalizing their meaning, it's, it's, it's a very difficult conversation to have, but it's a real conversation to be had simply because of the fact that there is so much controversy around the conversation. Mm -hmm. I, it's for, for me, I, I'm, I'm thinking through that we don't argue well, we don't um, debate well, the, the Alluvial Collective, which is based here in Jackson, uses something called the Welcome Table, a way to engage in conversation around difficult subjects. I think that is uh, a really good first step. But we're also here in the two museums, the Civil Rights History Museum of Mississippi, uh, where we've got um, our traveling exhibit from the Mitzell Interpretive Center upstairs, and we put up a historical sign uh, marker, um, the third one, where Emmett Till, a 14-year-old child, his body came out of the Tallahatchie River. And someone thought that the way to debate that whether that memorial should be there was to shoot it up. And the first one was put up in 2008 and was thrown in the Tallahatchie River. The second was shot so many times that you could not read the writing on it. And then the third one was shot, and then some students from my alma mater, University of Mississippi, stood in front of it with guns. And so I think it, on one side I'm like, oh, we just need to argue better. <laughs> And then the other side, there, there are people with guns using that as their way to communicate. And so I would hope we would lean into our better angels and we figure out a way to communicate um, with words. Um, but it is, uh, it is definitely, I mean, even for a 14-year-old child, right? And you feel like yeah. you feel so threatened by that that you have to destroy a sign. we got to do a lot better. Patrick Weems and Daphne Chamberlain participated in a roundtable discussion about monuments and their use. Coming up, telehealth could help more Mississippians access contraception. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Abortion access in Mississippi is severely limited. While access to contraception has not been affected yet, it can be difficult to get in many communities across the state. MPB's Lacey Alexander speaks with Danielle Lampton and Jamie Bardwell, co-founders and directors of Converge, along with spokesperson Jatoria Hunter. They say everyone should be able to access birth control regardless of where they live. Jamie and I started Converge in 2018 with the goal to expand access to affordable sexual and reproductive health care. In April 2022, Converge became the family planning Title X grantee for the state. We receive uh, $4.5 million to improve access to family planning care. Converge was always intended to be an innovator around sexual and reproductive health care in Mississippi. And once we realized that there has never been consistent telemedicine care for family planning or birth control, we knew that this was something we wanted to make happen. We really wanted telehealth to finally be available for everyone seeking birth control. And this is Jamie. Um, the other thing that's true about Mississippi, as you know, you have reported on before, is that there are healthcare deserts where oftentimes there is no provider, no OBGYN. We don't have enough doctors or nurse practitioners in Mississippi. And so offering telehealth is just one more way to increase access to this um, to healthcare. The Get Personal program is in collaboration with something called 28 Health. Can you kind of educate us on what 28 Health is? This is Jatoria. 28 Health is a telehealth platform provider. And so Converge is partnering to launch these services so that we can make this service accessible to anyone in Mississippi. So the way that Get Personal works is that someone would go online to personally.care, which is a website developed by Converge, and they would complete a five-minute online confidential um, kind of questionnaire, just like an intake process via online, and they'll have this questionnaire, and then the doctor will review it. They'll schedule an appointment, and they will work with a provider within like three to five days after that conversation and that appointment. They will then be shipped um, up to a year's worth of birth control, um, as well as two emergency contraceptive pills. And all this is shipped for free, um, whether they have insurance or not. Um, And this is going to be shipped in discrete packaging. So 28 Health is just a platform uh, that Converge is using to um, assist us with this service. And can one of you elaborate on the relationship a program like this has to insurance? It's listed as no to potentially low cost. What role does insurance play in how these patients get served with this program? Yeah, this is Danielle. If patients have insurance, the insurance will be billed for their birth control. The cost of the televisit is going to be covered by a funder. And for people who don't have any insurance, both the cost of the visit and the cost of the birth control will be covered by donations. So it's 
free or low cost, low cost being any potential co-pays. Can one of you ladies kind of elaborate on the application process? If someone wants to use this program, what steps do they need to take? Yeah, so this is Jatoria. They would just need to log on to personally.care. And there is a portion to talk about Get Personal. They'll see it immediately when they're on the website. They'll click on that button to get started. They'll complete a five-minute evaluation at an intake process, asking about their medical history, um, their preference uh, with birth control methods, and a few additional questions. And then they will schedule an appointment. After that, someone will get in contact with them to uh, set up this appointment through like an email. And so they'll receive a link. They can log on to this appointment via a tablet, a phone call, or a computer. Um, And they will be able to chat with a doctor to determine the best method for them. After this, they will get shipped up to a year's worth of birth control, whether that be a shot, a pill, a patch or the ring, those are the methods they can choose from. And then once they've been shipped these methods, whatever methods they say choose, they will then also have access to confidential messaging with a doctor after that. So if they're having any issues with their birth control, if they want to switch it, if they have questions, they will have access to a patient portal in order to do that. I want to elaborate on the place this program has and the role this program plays in a state like Mississippi. If you guys wouldn't mind elaborating on why it's important that our state specifically has a program like this. Jamie, um, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but we do not have enough um, brick and mortar clinics or clinicians to meet the current demand for health care. And so we believe from talking to people in Mississippi that more access is needed. And so this combination of telemedicine with our network of brick and mortar Title X clinics is really kind of the the way that we can make sure people have the care they need no matter where they live in Mississippi. We have really high uh, maternal mortality rates in Mississippi, and you can really trace that back to you know, lack of health insurance coverage and not able to go to the doctor for prevent visits. And our role here is to make sure people can get that care they need. I wanted to add, it's not up to Converge how people choose to get their birth control or if they get birth control. But telemedicine is very safe for birth control and it's widely available in a lot of other states. And in a very basic way, we want our neighbors in Mississippi to have the same number of options as as people in other states have. Something also specific to Mississippi and a few other states, we are in a post-row world. Is this program, is the birth of this program or are any Mm -hmm. kind of details of this program in response to that recent ruling? Pre and post the Dobbs ruling, there was a need to expand rapid access to birth control for Mississippians. That has never been more true than after the Dobbs ruling. It's also true that emergency contraception and all forms of birth control that are FDA approved remain legal. And so we're able to provide a wide range of options via telehealth. 
You talked about how you can prescribe pills or a ring, and there are obviously a little, a few more invasive birth control methods you can't provide over telehealth. But are there any other limitations to what this program can provide for women seeking birth control? This is Jamie. You must be of the age of 18, 18 or older to access this service. Understandable. Do any of you have any kind of closing statement or closing thoughts you'd like to share with me before I let you go? This is Jatoria. I also wanted to talk about, in addition to Get Personal, this website personally is also offering reproductive health kits. So in case of an emergency, we are wanting people to be prepared. So therefore, we're offering a free reproductive health kit. You do not have to go through a consultation with a doctor. It's as simple as logging on to personally.care, completing a quick uh, questionnaire, and ordering this kit. So this kit will include external condoms, pregnancy tests, emergency contraception, lubricant, dental dams, and menstrual products. So people can order this and get it shipped to their homes for free. In addition to the birth control that they're offering through Get Personal, or they can just order this on their own. Danielle Lampton, Jamie Bardwell, and Jatoria Hunter are with the Reproductive Health Nonprofit Converge, and they're helping people across Mississippi access birth control. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.